0: Hi and welcome to the Her Forum podcast. We're a platform and community for women in law and aim to bring to you personal and professional insights from some amazing women with strong voices in the field of law. Hi Krishna. Hi Maitali. It's so nice to have you. Thank you for joining us and taking time from what I know is a very very busy schedule. It's a pleasure. Um, so just to give our viewers a little bit of a background, sort of to let people who are watching this know a little bit more about you. I'm going to do a, a introduction for you. I'm going to try keeping it brief, but giving your credentials, that is quite hard. That's very kind. Kirishma is a barrister at 39 Essex Chambers in London. She's triple qualified with rights of audience in India, England, and DIFC courts in Dubai. Kirishma spent the first few years of her practice as a litigator at the Bombay High Court before relocating to England in 2009. Her home court in England is the Commercial Court. And for those who don't know, that's a division of the High Court. She's an extremely successful commercial practice, particularly in the business banking cross-border dispute section. Her practice is split about 50-50 between litigation and international arbitration. Yes, she's a superwoman, she does it all. Krishma is ranked in legal 500, for the year 2020 as the leading junior for commercial education. is also an alumnus of the prestigious London School of Economics, where she also taught commercial law. Krishma, it's such a pleasure to have someone as inspiring as you here with me today. Thank you for joining us and doing this. Your journey personally to me has been very inspiring and it inspires me a great deal. And so you sharing it today with everyone here is bound to inspire many young women keen to navigate the world of council practice.
1: So welcome to Her Forum. Thank you, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and and more so for a for a fellow member of my chambers in Mumbai. So it's nice to be interviewed by you. Thank
0: you. Yeah. For those who don't know, um, and actually that's my first question. So let me just get right to it before I say anything more. Um, Krishna, you started your journey in counsel practice in Mumbai from the chambers of Janak Parikas. You did an article with Bari Gandhi, and then the chambers of Zal and Yarjina. And for those who don't know, that's also the chambers I'm in. And so that's what Kirishma meant. Um, How did these experiences help you evolve as a lawyer? And what were your biggest takeaways from these?
1: I think uh, my foundation in Mumbai has held me in good stead all through my legal career, uh, including in London. And the biggest takeaway is the advocacy. There is no dearth of work in India and there was no dearth of work as a junior especially for juniors who were willing to go to court and uh, i think that really stands out in terms of um, what we could offer when we when i at least moved to the commercial bar in in london that that didn't have quite as much advocacy experience so uh, let me give you an example there was in one of my early days at the english bar somebody who was a senior junior and who took silk the year after this conversation took place. And they said to me that something they were involved in settled at the steps of the court in, I think that was in Manchester. And and I thought, you know, that's a good thing. The matter is settled. And, and they said, no, but I needed the advocacy experience. And really that is what stands out in terms of having one's foundation in, in India. And and it's great. So it's something that I enjoyed very much. I also did an article ship uh, at a fantastic firm, Wadia Gandhi, at the time. And they rotated us between commercial law, conveyancing, and and litigation. And although I was always keen on litigation from the outset, it was extremely useful to have had this generalist background. I mean, every day in the corporate team, I w- I, ju- I used to just... You know, sit and think, when is this rotation of mine going to come to an end without realizing how incredibly useful it is because I mainly do banking and and sort of private equity disputes now. And had I not had that experience of, of drafting and working on shareholder agreements and share purchase agreements and all of the other ancillary agreements together with it. I would not have known how to how to sort of conduct or, or really which clauses to focus on in a, in a dispute in the private equity space. So I think all of that was was excellent and all of that thanks to the Bombay Bar and no doubt the, the, um, the advocates. So the seniors, I, I mean, I was incredibly lucky to have been able to shadow somebody like Mr. Janak Varkadas in, his, in my early days and, and Zal, who was fantastic and extremely inspirational. Maytali and I were, both were a part of the, that, those chambers. And and Sharon, Jaktiani and so on. And, and I think um, that style of advocacy is missing to a great extent in London. And there is something to learn from both styles of advocacy. Uh, and so this thinking on one's feet, which just one has to do, because if you're taking, you know, three or four or 10 briefs a day uh, in, in Bombay, then, you know, you have no, you have to just, your skills will just develop in, in that regard. And versus the English skills of really taking your time, spending weeks or days to prepare for your hearing, which is, you know, very preparation focused rather than thinking on one's feet focused. So, so again, you know, great, great takeaways from my time in Bombay.
0: That's actually so interesting. And yeah, I think uh, Mr. Dwarkadas and Zal and Shad and all of them are so excellent and inspiring that I think it's an, it's an everyday inspiration, um, absolutely. So I can, I can understand where you're coming from. That was very insightful. And to sort of like piggyback on that, after your experiences in the Bombay High Court, you moved to London and that's where you requalified. And so I sort of wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. What are the steps to requalify as a barrister? Because from what I understand, it is one of the most incredibly challenging things um, that even English
1: lawyers think it is very challenging. So how was it for you? I'm very glad that you've asked this question because I get asked this every week by people who write to me on LinkedIn and, and so on. And And now I can just direct them to this, uh, to this video. So I, it, it's useful. So I'll say it at one shot. Basically one applies to the bar council of England and Wales and makes an application to transfer as a practicing advocate from a commonwealth jurisdiction who has had higher rights of audience for over three years. So that, that was the sort of sliver that I fell within. And, um, if if you don't have three years of experience at a higher court in India, then I I think then it's uh, basically making an application to now what is known as the BPTC, which is a one-year course. If you've got the three years experience then you can just apply as a transferring advocate and the bar council decides, uh, considers your application and decides what exams you need to take, what exams they're willing to waive. Also they waive certain pupillage requirements. So a normal pupillage is a, is a 12 month pupillage and, and they'll waive it. For example, for me, they waived six months. And pupillage also is compulsory to be advertised in the UK. So um, they, I, they waive those advertising requirements for me. For those who don't know, pupillage is basically um, spending your time with a practicing barrister and, and sort of shadowing them and doing little bits of work for them. And is divided into two parts, practicing and non-practicing. So um, non-practicing comes first, where you're just shadowing and Practicing is when you're able to do, you know, very small uh, and junior bits of advocacy, and uh, so my pupilage was six months, split into three months non-practicing and three months practicing, uh, around the same time. And I think before pupilage, in fact, uh, you would have needed to do the uh, the BTT, the bar transfer test, which is the exams. And you would also have had to become a student member of one of the Inns of Court. So there are four Inns of Court, Gray's Inn, Lincoln's Inn, Inner Temple and Middle Temple. It doesn't matter, you can choose any of these. I'm a member of Gray's and I, I love it. And um, uh, as a student member, you're also supposed to do what is known as dining sessions. So uh, it, just basically going and eating dinner with with other members of the bar and and, at that time i just wondered you know why why these age-old traditions but they were all terribly useful because you meet your contemporaries you meet seniors you have you know discussions you make friendships and and all of this was was great um because when i moved for example from from the bombay high court to london i felt a bit lonely walking down Gray's Inn, not knowing anybody and i missed fort, i missed the buzz i missed being able to say oh hello on the street and and so these dining sessions were useful because now through them i made friends and i i no longer felt that loneliness um and and was able to speak and also able to speak to somebody just call up somebody and say hey i think i'm in a little bit of a tricky situation how do you think i should handle this so uh uh, again so all of those requirements also needed to be fulfilled i think they are now changing the dining requirements and and you know those were who are now interested will have to look up what the new ones are. Uh, but the inn will tell you uh, once you're a member of the inn what, what those requirements are. And then, um, yes, making applications for pupillage, which is the most difficult part of the qualifying as a barrister. So for those of you who don't know, you get a certificate that says you've become a barrister. Uh, in fact, I think it says utter barrister on the certificate. And uh, That's great because you think, wow, I'm now qualified, but you don't have the ability to practice without a practicing certificate. And you only get a practicing certificate at the end of pupillage. And even after that, you can't practice because you have to work at a set of chambers for three years where there are others who have, I think, at least 10 years of experience at a a minimum. So the toughest things about requalifying are making the pupillage application and getting in and getting a pupillage. And then after completing pupillage also, you may get a practicing certificate, but unless you are made a permanent member of the, of that set of chambers, which is known as a tenancy, it's known as a tenancy because one starts paying rent from the first day. Uh, and, uh, so unless you become a tenant, you know, you may have finished pupillage, but again, you'll have to look for something called a third, sixth pupillage and wait until you get into a chamber that is willing to take you on following the end of your um, either pupillage or third sex pupillage. So that in very short summary is the complicated system of re-qualifying at the English bar.
0: Thank you. That was very insightful. I can imagine you getting asked this question very often because uh, I, I think the only other person I can think of who's qualified both at the English and Indian bar is um, Mr. Salve. And so I'm guessing you're getting a lot of queries of this nature. And I think that sort of, I think the system is just so different that I really wanted to ask you, do you think this pupillage system is something that should be adopted in India? And do you have any like funny stories or experiences you'd like to share
1: with everyone from your early pupillage days? I should just correct um, correct you a little bit because it's um, I need to give due credit to others who have now... Uh, become dual qualified. So I think those, there are others now. I, I think Mr. Salvi and I um, uh, were both called around 2012, 2011 or 12 in, in London, both by Gray's Inn. Uh, but there are others now who are of Indian origin and who have managed to break it through um, into the English bar. So so we should give credit to them. Um, pupillage experiences, lots of funny ones. But before that, yes, pupillage is, it is useful. I think we just learn it, um, by being thrown in the deep end, um, in, in Bombay. So, I mean, I made, I, I just was willing to take on all of the work at the Bombay high court and, uh, made the mistakes in front of the judges. And thankfully, because I was junior, those mistakes were sort of overlooked, but also we had great experience in India because we, we were in a courtroom filled with people. So we were waiting for our matters to come on and we could observe good advocacy and we could observe the sort of, um, you know, mistakes that others were making and learn from them, which is very different at the English commercial bar because, uh, I mean, in in most of my cases, the only parties in the courtroom are me and my client, my instructing solicitors and clients, and the opposing side and their instructing solicitors and and clients and the judge, and there's nobody else who's watching. So it's rather a different courtroom. I think because of that, the pupillage system is, is, is useful for the English system, at least at the commercial bar. It's very different at, you know, say immigration or crime or family in England. Um, and yes, I think training is important in terms of drafting skills. I think that is what we really need to, um, to incorporate within our Indian judi- judicial system. As far as advocacy is concerned, I think the system just does it by, by just throwing the juniors into the deep end. But drafting, it would be incredibly useful to incorporate that system into into India. Funny experiences, lots of them from, from Pupillage. I think one really stands out, which is we're, we're here on a forum, which is about gender diversity, but gender diversity is just one part of the various aspects of diversity And this was about an age discrimination case. And so one of my pupil masters, used to do a lot of work for the Advocate General uh, or the rather Attorney General in in London. And on that panel, there was was a specific sub-panel for vexatious litigants. And so basically there was this man who would wake up every morning and look at the classifieds in the papers and and look for ads which said, wanted, you know, um, uh, a young, enthusiastic, smiley uh, face to be a sales assistant in a shop for example and he would make applications and would invariably be rejected or or perhaps even would try to get himself rejected and then he would send a notice out to these uh, you know small shop owners and, and so on saying oh you've rejected me because of age discrimination your ad said wanted young enthusiastic, et cetera, et cetera, And because I'm not young and I'm white male and in my late fifties, uh, you have rejected me. And I was gobsmacked when I read this. But this man had, had filed uh, nearly a hundred petitions and had even bought a Bentley by receiving money in settlement from all of these shop owners who, who were happy to sort of just get shot of this kind of a problem and were not better informed. So, so that was one of the funniest experiences um, from my pupillage. Wow. That is, that is hilarious. And to buy a Bentley
0: the cost, I mean, that's a fast track way to buy a Bentley. Definitely much faster than council practice. Um, and so sort of now coming to a little bit of a later stage, you're now a pretty senior junior at the English commercial bar. And so what is that like, you know, sort of after the whole pupillage, now you being more senior.
1: It's great. Um, I've sort of come into my own skin. It's a lot more comfortable. I know how to navigate all the, the complicated procedural rules that were different from, from India. Uh, while I think the substantial law is, is, is similar to the substantive law, um, procedurally, it was rather different. So so that uh, and navigating all of that is, is, is a lot more easier. It's also fun because um, it's just great cross-border work. And, and I think that is also... Um, you know, I, I feel lucky because, uh, again, through thanks to my Indian roots, that I'm able to do all of this because I mainly represent Indian companies and Indian multinationals in English law disputes. And and I recall um, during one of my early days at the at the Bombay Bar, a senior moved from Bombay to Delhi, and they said, you know, Karishma, it's incredible because in Bombay we're just so holding in, and and it's great commercial work, but in Delhi we get work from all over the country. And I thought that was quite exciting. I was still in Bombay. I didn't think that I was moving to London anytime soon. And when I moved to London, I totally understood what she meant because it's just this incredible cross-border work that that comes in. And every dispute that I have, nearly every dispute, whether it be litigation or international arbitration, one leg of the dispute tends to be at the NCLT in, in India and um and again that's that is you know exciting because there there are two jurisdictions to be straddled there's a lot of um you know strategy that is involved in terms of which one you know one needs to progress which one one doesn't want to etc so so i think that is the the most exciting thing about being a senior junior in in london and 39 essex i think also makes it um makes it easy because they're a really good international set. They've got offices in in Singapore and Kuala Lumpur in in addition to London. So they get me. They understand the international nature of of my practice. And they were very inclusive as well. So I think that has also made it a lot more enjoyable. That's that's very exciting to hear. I think that
0: um, your perspective in having the benefit of both the Bombay and the English practice is very useful to this conversation I here. We're sort of now going away, a little bit away from litigation and to what constitutes the more upper 50% of your um, bulk of practice. I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about your international arbitration practice. And in the sense, in a, in a very comparative sense, and I know you also appear in DIFC courts in Dubai. So you're basically through international arbitration, your practice at Bombay, um, England, and DRC courts meeting lawyers trained in all parts of the world. And so I sort of wanted to ask you this question since I have the benefit of having you here, is that how do you compare the Indian practice on a global parameter?
1: Um, I've got to say it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Sometimes it's very good and sometimes I'm in the room sort of thinking, uh, I just wish that, you know, they, they would have done a better job, and I think that's mostly because of preparation. You know the the point I made in, in the beginning because the nature of the practice is completely different in, in both um, in England and and in India, right? And, and I wouldn't just say England. I think I would you know say the DIFC court, Singapore, etc. Also spend a lot of time preparing for the internet for international arbitrations, whether it be a trial or even an interim application. Now, especially at trial, I think, I mean, you're lucky in India if you've got cross-examination experience as a civil commercial counsel. And uh, there's a lot of application experience, but not that much cross-examination experience. And so I think that stands out because uh, some of the other lawyers, for example, um, English barristers would have more cross-examination experience, but less application experience, for example, than than Indian uh, advocates. And, and that, when one is cross-examining, you really need to have put in those hours of preparation. So that's also something that, that um, you know, stands out. Um, that said, I think it's, I mean, international arbitrations, yes, of course, you know, I, I would say every Indian advocate is as able to, uh, if they only, you know, spend the time on their prep, uh, able to, you know, match or be at par with the, their English counterparts. Uh, the diFC court, however, is a completely different ball game because they've um, they've really modeled it along the English procedural lines, and that means so for example, I was instructed in this um, three hundred million freezing injunction about five days before the uh, the lifting of the, the uh, of the freezing injunction so before the return date. And, and I was just thinking at that. Time, I don't think that I could have just hit the ground running. Had I just been an Indian advocate because all of the procedural aspects such as, you know, drafting of the skeleton arguments, knowing the law. So very, just very quickly knowing where, what the test in terms of lifting the freezing injunction is and being able to tell the client immediately on the first day, uh, that these are the things that you need to give me and you need to help me out with because clients take their own time as we know. So. I think things like that only come because certain jurisdictions have a much heavier influence of English law and English courts and, and the DIFC court is one of them. Uh, but if one is able to, to come up to speed with all of the those, you know, procedural requirements, as well as, um, uh, you know, the tests for, because every, every case that we do, will have a legal test. So coming up to speed with that, um, I, I think you know an Indian um, would be just as good as as somebody who is not Indian.
0: Honestly, when I'm when I'm listening to you talk about all the work you do, I, I sometimes just feel like you're literally Wonder Woman. I I don't know how you manage it all, like rotating between all these jurisdictions and just doing it so seamlessly. I mean, you're making it seem very seamless.
1: Can i just interrupt here to say technology and it's really worth investing in the technology so about um i split my time between mumbai and, and london so i spent a couple of uh, or, or maybe about three to four months of the year in mumbai which is during the english court vacations and uh, and when i started doing that about four or five years ago i invested in the technology and so my juniors in bombay have access to the same um version of the documents that i'm uh, you know accessing in london and of course, it makes it much easier that we have access to all of the, not just the judgments, but also the English law textbooks online. But it is certainly worth investing in technology, getting it. So, for example, and, and I can't say this enough, For the, the life changer actually was getting Google Drive for me on my phone. It's a paid version. You just need to make that investment, pay for it. But at least on the, so I was once boarding a flight, got instructions, got, you know, the papers. And they were saved on my server. All I needed to do was just right swipe that particular um, uh, uh, folder so that I could read all of that on my phone in your on the flight on on a long haul flight. And I would have wasted all of that time if I would not have invested in the technology. So it is really worth doing all of this. And also there's there's this, you know, Adobe Pro and Adobe Expert, they're two different softwares also very good both of them. I don't want to be advocating for any they may, may There may be many others, but I'm just saying, please invest in technology.
0: Yeah, technology has been definitely the game changer, I think, in making things um, smoother in that sense and having being able to even work from home is just thanks to technology in that sense. Um, this sort of is coming back to her forum and like you know the ethos we have around it the question sort of on those lines um the bar room and i've tell this very often and i'm sure you have this is dominated by men in, in a lot of ways so did that ever daunt you and also sort of as a second part to that question how do you deal with gender bias that you might encounter because i think a lot of times this comes from superiors or seniors and do you sort of let it be, or do you call it out? How do
1: you handle it in this sort of work situation? I just don't pay attention to it, and I think that's worked, <laughs> and I've never felt actually any less uh, because I'm a woman and um and I think that mindset has carried my practice a long way, and that's what I would encourage everyone um and all of the you know all sorts of girls who are, or, or women who are watching this, those who are older people and watching this, we just spoke about age discrimination as well, or, or any, you know, any other sort of bias that you think you may face, just don't think you're facing it. And, and that I think has overcome many obstacles. So for example, when I was a student at the LSE, there was a friend of mine from, uh, from you know, le- another part of the world, not, not India, not England. And they you know, when we would go out, would say, oh, you know, something that just happened here, I think that's racial discrimination. And I thought, really? I didn't notice that. And that is the, I think that's what's carried me through. I, I'm, I'm not sure about others, but I think that says that, you know, it, it's sort of helpful to to deal with situations. Just keep your head down, keep, you know, keep working hard and carry on.
0: Um, we're kind of on our last question before we move to a more fun, rapid fire round that I have for you in that sense. So, as the last question, I wanted to ask you any parting tips to juniors who want to follow your path or just juniors at the bar?
1: Don't say no to work. Whatever comes your way, just do it. And I'll give you an example. My head of chambers, um, he, he was sort of planning. This is my ex head of chambers in my previous one in, in London and uh, he ha- has been planning silk of the year etc but he also developed a, a great niche for election law and not many people know this but you know some of the greatest cases land on his desk and he said karishma when i was a junior if someone would have told me you need to become an election law specialist i would not have known how to do it it just happened because of the things that happened along the way and I think that would be my tip to juniors. Don't say no to work, whatever comes. You're, and, and also, so if it's a teaching opportunity, if it is an opportunity to write articles, if it's just going to court, let your, if you're in a law firm, let your court clerks know that you are happy to go to court at the drop of a hat. That is the best way to build experience. And, and I think that's what I would say.
0: That's very useful. I'm sure a lot of people are gonna benefit from this advice. And now, sort of, come to a rapid fire round. Uh, the first question of which is the woman lawyer you look up to the most.
1: Two of them um, on the Indian side, Madhuri Divan. She was she was my senior, uh, and I thought she did just such a fantastic job of the work life balance. And I always sort of looked up to her, and 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 thought that is how I want to be when when I grow up and and the second is christina Mikolos. i don't think she knows this she's a qc in in london at uh at five rb five raymond buildings and and really excellent in um sort of media and and that kind of law and uh we were in the same building so four and five brazen square where i was previously and and five rb were were just uh above and below each other and and she was great she managed work and she also managed to become um to sort of convince the the age old system of benchers. So, you know, um, every inn of court has, has a bencher. And, and she said, Why do people need to be a QC to become a bencher? Why can't senior juniors become a bencher? And, and she, she lobbied and she, you know, I think she had her way. She became a bencher when she was a senior junior, but also took silk after that. Um, so, so, she's my other inspiration in, in England.
0: The next question is your favorite
1: woman lawyer who's a TV or movie character? Ali McBeal. I grew up watching that and I just, I loved that (laughs) serial.
0: Yeah, me too, I like it as well. Um, And so the next question is, favorite way to unwind on a Friday?
1: Oh, this is a very sad answer because my Friday evenings are generally spent working. Um, but, um, I think going out dancing, if I'm not working, would be a nice way.
0: Now, um, because you actually have appeared in so many courts across the world, this question is specifically designed for you. Most beautiful court in the world, in your opinion?
1: Wow. Um, I think the central court in, at the Bombay High Court, uh, it's a beautiful courtroom. It's got incredibly high ceilings, but more importantly, it's got a um, it's got a list of um, of judges at the Bombay High Court. And that was when I first saw because some of them said advocate behind their names, and some of them said bar at law. And I used to think, oh, I wonder what bar at law means. And now, being a barrister, I know what that means. And and it was also where Lokmanya Tilak was tried. So it's also sort of um, you know caught up in the middle of a indo um english sort of history so i really like that courtroom.
0: yeah it's 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 so beautiful i think the first time i ever went in there i was just like stunned that there was this courtroom so beautiful because i think it's locked quite a few days of the year it's opened now and then and then when the chief justice is sitting uh with five judges or all the judges yeah i think i've seen it very not too often but every time i go in i think i'm still stunned um, my next question is favorite work snack.
1: So <laughs> those who know me know that the largest drawer in my table is my snack drawer. So <laughs> it's filled with, I mean, all sorts of things. Nuts, I think I would say, is my favorite work, work snack.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think everyone needs a tap drawer, especially if you're working those long hours. Um, but that's actually all the questions I have for you. Um, I just want to say thank you so much. You're very inspiring. I've always been inspired by you and always looked up to you and it's been such a pleasure and it's been, it's been my honor in in a lot of ways. So thank you for doing this and taking time out of what I can see is a very busy schedule for sure with all the work that you're juggling and I'm so glad we could
1: do this. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in and stay tuned for more.